athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. I think very deeply. In about four seconds, a teacher will begin to speak. I think very deeply. You've got it locked to the dopest show on radio. This is Box to Row. I am your host, Donald Ware. Plenty of NBA playoff talk on today's program. I mean, we've just got a whole lot to get to on today's show with respect to the NBA. Also, the college baseball season is winding down. As a matter of fact, conference championships going to be wrapped up this weekend as regional play begins on next week. And two teams looking forward to regional play on next weekend. The Norfolk State Spartans win the MEAC championship, the first MEAC championship for Norfolk State. First MEAC championship for Norfolk State in baseball. Keith Shoemate is the head baseball coach at Norfolk State. He's going to join us today on the program. Norfolk State was knocking on the door back in 2019, couldn't quite kick it in, and ultimately was able to get it done, played very well, as a matter of fact, down the stretch, and beat a North Carolina Central team. It would have made for a great story if North Carolina Central could have won the baseball championship because after this season, North Carolina Central is disbanding baseball. So no more baseball at NCCU, and what a great story it would have been if the Eagles could have captured the championship. And Norfolk State did it in dramatic fashion. Keith Shoemate is the baseball coach again at Norfolk State. He's going to join us today here on Box to Row. Also scheduled to join us today here on Box to Row, Chris Crenshaw is the head baseball coach at Southern. And Southern with a big, big upset. I mean, Jackson State went through the conference, through the SWAC undefeated. Do you know how hard it is to go through a baseball season? This is not basketball. This is not football. This is baseball where you play, you know, sometimes four games, three or four games in a weekend against conference opponents. And Southern able to handle Jackson State in the championship game. And, boy, I really feel for the Tigers. You go undefeated. The Tigers, by the way, still remain, uh, finished the season number one in the Black College Nines, a large school baseball poll. Okay, so Jackson State still remains number one. But look how many years Jackson State has been knocking on the door to win a championship. Great regular seasons, great in-swack play or uh, in-conference play. And then this year you thought, okay, as dominant as Jackson State was and out of conference as well. I mean, this is a Jackson State team, something like 34-6 and six or something like that. I mean, they, they had, as a matter of fact, the only – 
I believe the only Division I school with single-digit losses was Jackson State. Okay, so you go through all of that, and this year was different than past years. We saw in past years where Jackson State would get bounced out of the playoffs a little bit early, maybe semifinals, maybe a little bit earlier than that. But this year, get to the championship game and get upset by Southern. So Chris Chris Crenshaw is in his first season as the head baseball coach at Southern, and he's going to join us today on the program. As I mentioned, plenty of NBA talk today on the program. Going to preview some of the games that are taking place this weekend. I mean, some of the surprises, like, Guess the Bucks and the Heat, not really a surprise that the Bucks are in fact leading that series. Not a surprise that the Nets are leading the series against the Celtics. Not a surprise that Philadelphia is leading the series against the Wizards. But where we are with respect to the Clippers and the Mavericks is in fact a huge surprise. Like that's a big surprise. Like, again, the last couple of weeks, maybe going back a month ago, I said, well, on this program, I said, I think the Clippers may be the favorite to come out of the West. The way the Lakers weren't playing very well. Uh, you know, Denver was going through its deal. No Jamal Murray. There, there was no team to me. Utah, I, I just, as again, Utah, regular season, best record. What do they do in the playoff? The Jazz, what does the Jazz do in the playoffs? Hasn't shown much of anything. The last couple of years in the playoffs, I really couldn't go with the Jazz. And I felt like at the time the Clippers were playing well. Well, you come down the stretch, Clippers didn't play well, uh, maybe purposefully lost the last couple of games, did the Clippers. And now <laughs> Dallas is doing a real number right now on the Clippers, a real number on the Clippers Dallas is doing. So we can talk. Uh, uh, some NBA playoffs, and we can talk a little bit about that Clippers-Dallas series. Uh, you know, I look at the the uh, Wizards and the 76ers. Eh, I, 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 you know, again, as a Wizards fan, like I didn't think the Wizards could win, but I thought it'd be competitive. Well, game two was an absolute blowout, and some things transpired that we want to get to also today here on Box to Row. Your participation here on Box to Row, we always love for you to participate, hit me up via Twitter at Box to Row, B O X T O R O W. If you have any thoughts on the playoffs, any thoughts on Norfolk State winning the MEAC championship, any thoughts on Southern winning the SWAC championship, and again, North Carolina Central, the Eagles played some really good baseball this year, played some good baseball in the MEAC this year, and it was just Norfolk State's time. Keith Shoemate becomes the only coach in terms of taking two different programs in the MEAC to turn to championships. And so it was just Norfolk State's time. Again, what happened to Norfolk State two years ago in 2019, they avenged that by getting it done this time around. Thank you to all of the outstanding affiliates around the country that carry Box to Row. We're so appreciative of them. Those that listen to us on Sirius XM Channel 84 and those that listen to us around the world at BoxToRow.com. So while the Wizards were getting beat down, right, getting absolutely beat down by the 76ers, and by the way, I, I, I keep talking about 
Davis Bertans and, and how he really has to step up for the Wizards as sort of a third score. Now, I think what the Wizards have been able to do, they're getting, I mean, Ish Smith as a backup point guard is giving the Wizards a lot. Bradley Bill is like, like, let me ask this question. I'm going to throw this out here and I want to get your reaction and some unbiased reactions. Is Bradley Bill, do we think of, two twofold, do we think of Bradley Bill as a top 10 player in the league and then is he? a top 10 player in the league. You look at Bradley Beal as the league's second leading scorer, only by uh, a couple of tenths of a point to Steph Curry. You know, I watch his, I've watched his game throw more of a spot-up mid-range guy that could step out and hit a three for you to a guy that really is money or can be money from three-point range. Uh, but not only that, his mid-range game is unbelievable off the dribble, right? Can knock it down off the dribble mid-range, step back, cross you up, made some really good moves. But he's a legitimate scorer now. Like he'll take it to the hole. You saw it take it, saw him take it to Embiid a couple of times. So, question being, is Brad do we think of Bradley Bill as a top 10 player? I want unbiased opinions. Like I'm not, you know, I mean, for me, you know, I mean, I I it it, it, it really dawned on me when I was watching the game on Wednesday. Like, this guy is really, really good, but we never really talk about him because eh, he's playing with the Wizards, maybe not the best team. Um, but, wow, you look at what he's doing, and he's the, the league's second leading scorer, and look what he's doing in the playoffs as well. Is Bradley Beal, do we think of Bradley Beal as a top 10 scorer in the – or a top 10 player in the NBA? Do we think of him that way? And, in fact, is he? Hit me up via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. So, uh, Russell Westbrook, so he goes down, had had a little bit of, a, of an injury early on in the game, went down in the fourth quarter. He's leaving, and a fan from right by where the tunnel leads into the locker rooms poured popcorn on Russell Westbrook and the reaction by Russell Westbrook, it must've been what maybe five or six security guards there. If those security guards hadn't been there, boy, Russell Westbrook, I don't think he would have been able to get up in the stands because he would have had to, in essence, go maybe near the scores table. And by that time, somebody I'm sure would have grabbed him. I'm not sure if he would have gotten up there, but man, he was ready to really, I mean, to really get it on. And I can't really blame him. Like, you know, what happened in game two at the Garden with the Knicks and a fan, you know, first of all, the the FU to Trey Young in game one by the fans uh, was replaced in game two by someone spitting, in essence, on Trey Young. Like, what are we doing? Like, what 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 is fans? And, and, and remember, fan is short for fanatic. So, like, what are we really doing here? I mean, I think it's a little bit too much. We're doing a little bit too much. The fans are a little bit too much out of control. And a very unfortunate situation for both of these players. And for Westbrook, I mean, you know, he's been through this before, right? Quite a few times there have been incidences with Russell Westbrook and fans. I mean, is there something that can be done to kind of curb this behavior by fans? Now, the fan at the Garden was was uh, was uh, suspended 
uh, indefinitely from the garden, as was the fan that poured popcorn on Westbrook. But what is it that we can do? Is there any more, and I say we, but is there any more that can be done in terms of uh, these fans and what they're like? What what possesses you to pour? I mean, just what possesses you? You know, are you out of your mind? Um, you know, I just don't. I just don't get it. I mean, in uh, very, very unfortunate and a stain uh, on the NBA playoffs by both the Philadelphia crowd and the New York crowd. Two of the most raucous crowds. I mean, the most two of the most passionate fan bases, no question. But two of the most raucous crowds, just sort of really uh, a little bit ridiculous and out of control. So I'm not sure what we can do. What more can be done? Uh, you know, I've heard a couple of different theories embarrass the the fan that did uh, whatever the act was against the players, showed their, you know, their photo, et cetera, ban them for life. I mean, I think all of those things are appropriate, but does it prevent others from doing the same thing? I'm not sure uh, about that. Your thoughts on what happened to Russell Westbrook via the fans in Philadelphia, what happened to Trey Young via the fans at Madison Square Garden. Hit me up via Twitter at BoxToRo, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. We've got more of the program on the other side. As a matter of fact, up next, Norfolk State head baseball coach, Keith Shoemate. On the way, it's more of From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. Right, 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 right here, right here on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. You don't sit behind a desk every day to earn a living. You're out and about making it happen. And sometimes you get a little bit behind on your paperwork. You know, like bookkeeping and paying your taxes. It's easy to get behind on paying your taxes. It happens to the best of us. And you know what happens next. The big bad IRS comes knocking on your door. And when that happens, you need to call the good old boys at the tax doctor. Let them do what they do best. Deal and negotiate with the IRS so you pay the lowest you can in back taxes that the law allows. We are a 100% U.S.-based company, and we've saved our clients millions over the years in back taxes. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, call my friends right now at the tax doctor and learn more. 800-659-7980. 800-659-7980. 800-659-7980. That's 800-659-7980. The others pretend you're listening to the show that brings you up close and personal. Up close and personal. With the biggest names in sports and entertainment. Here's the man to bring it to you, Donald Ware. Let's continue here on Box to Row. We're joined by a gentleman in his fourth season as the head baseball coach at Norfolk State. The Spartans winning the MEAC championship. A big-time win over North Carolina Central, 7-6 to six in extra innings for the MEAC championship. He spent 15 seasons as the head baseball coach at North Carolina A&T, where he led the Aggies to a MEAC tournament championship in 2005 is believed to be the first coach in MEAC history to lead two different programs to MEAC championships. He is Keith Shoemate. Joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Coach Shoemate, congratulations. Good to talk to you again, and welcome back to the program. 
No, it's good to be here. I, uh, I, I love your show, and, uh, and I love listening to it. And uh, like I say, it's just a, a good time, a, a really good time here in, in uh, Spartanville. Yeah, for you, let, let's, let's talk about a dramatic fashion, extra innings, walk-off sing, single. You guys get the victory. Take me through, you know, what, what happened ultimately on uh, that led up, really, because, I mean, you had to come back. You had to claw back against a tough North Carolina Central team. Yeah, we had just come off of uh, beating them one to nothing in what was just a terrific baseball game the day before. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we had gotten a clutch hit in the eighth inning to win, you know, low-scoring affair. And then we were piecing together uh, how we were going to attack the next day pitching-wise. And uh, we, we, we pitched one of our young left-handers, and uh, he had a little tough luck. We needed two or three innings out of someone, but we gave up uh, four runs early. And uh, it just so happened, or, or a couple runs early, and, and uh, just so happened that uh, – you know, our next arm we, we had waiting in the wings did just did a terrific job. Alex Wright uh, really um, shut them down, put like six zeros up. We were able to scratch, uh, you know, scratch and claw. Uh, and then uh, in uh, extra innings, they went ahead. Uh, young man hit a two-run two run home run, and uh, we were down again, and they were celebrating and uh, as they should have been, but uh, – it was kind of like almost as if their celebration was we've won the game, and I'm like, you just don't know the group in my dugout. They are they're a special group, and uh, of course they uh, try to win every pitch. And uh, we came back and uh, we scored a run, had the bases loaded, two outs, uh, two strikes. They brought in their their very best pitcher, uh, the guy that was pitcher of the year in the conference, Ryan Miller, and uh, we had our best hitter up, Alexander Womack. And uh, he just did a great piece of hitting like he's done all year, drove a ball the opposite way towards the gap, and the game was over. You know, walk-off win, and uh, it was an 11th inning uh, walk-off that just our crowd went crazy and uh, people rushed on the field. It was just a, it was a great feeling. Yeah, of course, the game was played at, uh, at, at your field right there um, at, uh, at Norfolk State. Um, you know, it's interesting. Did, did anybody talk about, you know, 2019, you were so close. We had you on back in 2018, interim season. Did a really good job. 2019 in the tournament, so close. I mean, you were so close um, to winning. Did that go through your mind, any of your players' minds, uh, particularly that you started out the tournament against Florida A&M? Nobody spoke of it. Uh, I think it was in the, the back of the mind of the older players. I think we put it to rest um, the next season after that, before COVID. We had decided that whatever was going to happen, we were going to always try to win the next pitch. Because we looked at as we were one pitch short, we weren't going to give up a single pitch uh, where we weren't focused on what we were doing. And we just, uh, you know, this year there was a lot of um, – um, you know, there was some adversity in that, you know, with COVID, our university, uh, and rightly so, decided for us to come back late. So we were not able to stretch our pitchers out. We, you know, we, we had to come back late. Most people had been in school for a whole month. Um, we never brought Florida, the Florida A&M loss back up, but I think it was in the back of the minds of the, the uh, older players. And I don't think the younger players were ever able to look at an older player and see complacency. So I think it, it, it was just a tone setter. 
And uh, I even saw in you know in uh, interviews after the game when asked about it, I know Alexander Womack said that neither he nor Ty Hanchi, two of our our veterans, that said they never really spoke of it. You know, they just they knew it was there, they knew what had happened, and they knew that this was a new day. So that's what we tried to preach, and uh, you know, it worked out. Keith Shoemate is in his fourth season as the head baseball coach at Norfolk State. He joins us here. On box to row, of course, the Spartans will know this Monday where they will be in regional play, MEAC tournament champions. So, Coach, I mean, I look at you know, I look at you look at the schedule. It, it, you, and to your point, you mentioned the the school opening late. So, I, I mean, you get off to the slow start. I mean, you look at Old Dominion, uh, you you lose all four. North Carolina Central ta- uh, it takes four of six. Uh, you look at Longwood, they take. Uh, three of four, and then Moorhead State takes three of four as well. So a slow start to the season, but then somewhere things change, maybe towards the middle to the latter part of the season. What changed for this team to get righted and then to ultimately get on the right track to win that MEAC tournament championship? Well, you know, immediately after the first uh, weekend, our first four or five games there with Old Dominion, and they and, and they have a terrific team. They're going to be, you know, they'll probably end up in the 64 um, I just I spoke to the club and said, hey, you know, you can't out um, prepare this game. You have to you have to put your work in, and uh, we needed to stretch our pitchers out. Our pitchers came back, and they were you know we were when everybody else had their pitchers ready to throw five, six, seven innings. Our guys were only ready to throw you know one or two innings. So we had to stretch our guys out, and while we did that, they needed to separate the final result from, you know, everyday progress. They had to get better. So we just decided, hey, we're going to be better today than we were yesterday, and we're going to get better tomorrow. And we just pushed and pushed and pushed. And we, we started doing really good things. And when we were able to get our starters to where they could throw five and six innings like everybody else, we were a different team. If you wanted to look at any one tangible type of move or anything, Donald, I'd have to say, you know, we, we took a, our, our catcher, who's a good catcher, but has some speed and hitting ability, and we asked him to, if he would go out and play right field. That was Ty Hanchy. And uh, that allowed him to run more, steal more bases, focus on his offense. And we asked an older guy that we converted to catcher um, by the name of Adam Collins to go behind the plate. And he had really mastered, um, you know, moving the ball, into the zone as he catches it. And his, his framing skills, I felt like, were at least worth a half run to a run a game. And I think those two things kind of jailed with, you know, Alexander Womack was going to be Alexander Womack. The guys that, you know, our guys just needed at-bats to get ready to see, you know, 90 and 95-mile-hour pitching. Once we had seen all that, we started to play well. But it was at no surprise to the, to the coaching staff. Uh, my assistant coach and I, we're just we, – this is what we expected. We knew we had something special if we put the work in there. And that's that's the type of program we have. It's a, a player development program. And uh, so it it started clicking. And uh, But I think that any one thing, I think Adam Collins going behind the plate, um, you know, James Deloach being stretched out enough to start, um, you know, and, and Danny Heisley getting in shape so he could play both shortstop and pitch. Uh, it just took time. It was that simple. Yeah. I wanted to ask you more about Hosley. He is your Otani, in essence. 
<laughs> well, he doesn't. He is. He doesn't have the power of Otani. And you know, we play. We play in a, an extremely large ballpark. Uh, we we probably play in the biggest uh, field of anybody that we're going to play in. Um, gaps are 396 feet and 392 feet. Um, you know, left center field and right center field, respectively. But uh, Danny has just. He's done everything. He's played shortstop. When we've tried to give other shortstops a little time, he plays third base. Uh, he's a, he's, you know, he's a gold glove type shortstop. Um, and then once he got stretched out to pitch and got a little routine, uh, I mean, he was right there with, uh, you know, top guys in the nation as far as complete games. Um, he's leading the team in hitting currently. I think he's 375 to 380 somewhere in that area. Uh, just ahead of uh, uh, Alexander Womack. So to lead a team in hitting, to play gold glove shortstop, uh, you know, to, to pitch and be one of the top pitchers in the in the MEAC and complete games in the country, I mean, that says something about him. And, he, you know, he'll be a finalist probably for the, the John Olerud, you know, utility man, all-around player type award. Um, so we're very proud of him, very proud of him. I mean, you look at the numbers of 295. ERA, 11 appearances, 79 strikeouts, 7-1 and one on the season. Absolutely phenomenal. Keith Shoemate is the head baseball coach at Norfolk State. He joins us here on the program. How did Kobe – because I, I, know, I know for you and your, your players, last year must have been excruciatingly painful because you were so close in 19. You probably felt like we got the team to do it this year, and then there's no season. What was 2020 like for you? 2020 was was tough. It was uh, it was one of those situations where, after we came off of that that very very tough loss, uh, we had high hopes for our guys, but we also knew we had a lot of work to do. Uh, and you know we we do you know we are uh, a program that does lack for a, an, an indoor uh, area to train. We got off to a slow start. Uh, we felt like we had, you know we had some injuries. Uh, injuries are part of the game. And so we didn't make any excuses. But we really felt like we were starting to turn the corner. We had played well at the University of Kentucky for about five, six innings before the, you know the bottom fell out. We played well at uh, Eastern Kentucky on a Sunday. And I told, I told my coach, I said, hey, this team is getting ready to just absolutely explode. And uh, sure enough, a couple of days later, we played ODU. And we, you know, we beat the wheels off of them that day. Um, I want to say like eight to three, nine to four, something like that. But then the next day, the game, this, the uh, the season's over. Uh, they call us, and before the weekend series, we're done. And so we knew we were getting ready to turn the corner, but the team did not get to see the fruits of their hard work. So, you know, just as the adult, you know, you just try to put the. Uh, you just try to put everything in perspective and swallow your pride and uh, just say, hey, we'll get them when we get back. Talking with Norfolk State head baseball coach Keith Shoemate here on Box to Row. We're going to step aside, take a break, come back more of our conversation with Keith Shoemate, the head baseball coach at Norfolk State. Missed any of our shows? How about our conversations with some of the biggest names in sports and entertainment? Check out Box to Row podcast at boxtorow.com or on Apple Podcasts. 
Find us on Twitter and Instagram at box to row and on Facebook at From the Press Box to Press Row. And don't forget to tell your friends to check out all of the latest from Box to Row. Box to Row. Box to Row. We're back here on Box to Row talking with Norfolk State head baseball coach Keith Shoemate here on the program. So for, for you, what does it mean, you know, to be a history maker, uh, a coach that has won uh, championships in the MEAC with two different programs? Well, you know, I, I, you know, I, I heard somebody say that here recently, and, and, and a couple people brought it up. But, you know, you know Keith Shoemate is just not about Keith Shoemate. I just not a, you know, I, it's kind of like I tell the guys, I said, you know, you play the next pitch and you let everybody else count them up at the end of the year. And that's the way it is with anything that brings attention to a coach. Um, it's just not my style. I, I'm a, I'm a focus on the players. When uh, we win, the players get the credit. When I when we lose, Keith Shoemate takes responsibility for the loss. And so I know it has some little bit some historical uh, meaning. And you know I'm, I'm proud of our players. Uh, I know that I take a lot of personal pride in, in trying to be the the best coach I can for my players. I work for them. You know they don't work for me. Um, and that's kind of the way I look at it. And I just try to give them 100%. So uh, along with my assistant coach, Matt Mitchell, uh, we, we just try to be workhorses for our players. And I, I try to leave all that up to the guys, you know, like yourself and other people. Um, you know, that's just when you have success, it's, it's really nice. Yeah. Last two thoughts with Keith, Keith Shoemate, the head baseball coach at Norfolk State, who joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Can you speak to your time? I mean, 15 seasons as the head baseball coach at A&T, winning a MEAC championship. Now, see, people, what people won't understand is that MEAC championship you won was in the middle of all of the MEAC championships that Bethune-Cookman was winning. Like, that was very difficult to do because nobody else was winning it but Bethune-Cookman. So can you sort of speak to that yeah. time and what that time meant to you? Well, you know, people have to realize that, that you know, coaching sometimes at – some of our, our HBCUs is a balancing act. You have a school is supporting uh, a baseball program rather than not having a baseball program, but they are not always able to provide all of the resources that are going to make it, make it easy on you when you play out of conference or when you play a team that's funded pretty well. Bethune-Cookman was well coached. They played – uh, they played fundamentally sound baseball, um, but as you know, the coach back then would tell you they were supported. They were supported. They were fully supported. They had everything they needed. Uh, I, I know the young men at North Carolina A&T from beginning of the season to the end of the season, they were always the most improved team, and that was a credit to them, not the coaches. And they were always one of the most feared teams, especially offensively. Um, I think when 2005 rolled around. Um, we'd finally gotten a deal to practice on a, a normal surface at the stadium. We had not had a a, uh, a place to really practice. And when we got that, we immediately won the regular season and won the, uh, the uh, tournament and uh, broke up the streak of Bethune-Cookman. And so there was a lot of pride in that. And then we were very good those next few years. And uh, I think we were – 
four of the last seven uh, years there we were in the championship and we're only able to win one of them so very proud of them um you know i i uh was you know love everyone there uh but i i know that uh one day the day came i had to go uh i wanted to go watch my son play baseball i had been waiting <laughs> for some things uh and we've gone through a lot of changes with athletic directors and i just said hey I, i'm gonna go watch my son play at the end of the season and uh I know they tried to give me some things, Donald, uh, to, to keep me there, and I appreciated it, but I knew it was time to pass that torch to someone else. Uh, when my son started, when he stopped playing uh, uh, baseball, when he finished his career and uh, at Elon University and I saw he wasn't going to go to professional baseball, um, I said, i got to get back in it. And uh, just the opportunity to go to a school like Norfolk State I was going there to just be a, the hitting coach. I'd never been an assistant coach. But just going there and being able to, you know, I was wanted to get there and, uh, you know, make an impact and then bounce on and find me a program somewhere. And through it all, our head coach uh, there at the end of the fall, Claude L. Clark, decided to take another uh, uh, lucrative position uh, with a group there within the city of Norfolk. And Marty Miller uh, saw to it to ask me to be the head coach. And, uh, you know, it just looked like God's dealings. And it's just when you look back, to be at a, a, at a, a wonderful HBCU is a blessing. But to get to be at two of them and to be at Norfolk State where you have a facility and you may not have everything you want, but you have everything you need to be competitive if you're able to work. And we have wonderful players. And so just to put it in perspective, I feel very, very, very blessed. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you guys, I, obviously, you and I go back a long way. You guys really, really work. It's no question about that at your, your, your time at A&T. Lastly, so where do you think, I, I'm not up on where everybody is, who the some of the better teams in the country. I know they try to seed you regionally where you are and so forth. So where do you think you may go, and what will it take to have success in the region? Uh, it, you know, it'll be really tough competition. Um, you know, the closest regional that'll probably take place um, will probably be East Carolina. However, what the, the tendency is, even though they want to keep everybody as close to home as possible, uh, the tendency is with a team coming out of the MEAC, they're probably going to uh, try to gift them, so to speak, to a very, very high seed. So, Possibilities might include a Tennessee, uh, Tennessee regional, uh, possibly even a, a, a Vanderbilt regional. Uh, so those are those are some of the places that you know I could really see that happening. Yeah, yeah. And then what will it take to have success? You know, to I mean, you know, as a so, lower seed. Well, to answer the rest the rest of your your question, you have to just get your players to realize that you're going to play baseball. You know, it is tough to, to sit out this extra time waiting for the other conferences to finish up. But if you can stay, you know, game ready, I, you know, I think you're, 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 it's, it's difficult to go in there and win with just one pitcher. You're going to have to go in there with a pitching plan, and if we can, if we can throw strikes and keep the other team off balance, you know, this, this offense has been very, um, very versatile, very spontaneous. I think we have to keep on being who we are. We're very aggressive. 
Um, you know, we go first to third. We slide hard. Um, I, th- I want to say, I don't count it up, but I want to say we've stolen over 100 bases, you know, again this year. Um, our guys, you know, when we see weakness, we try to prey on it, and uh, we try to we try to remember there, there really are no perfect teams, Donald. They, when you look around, every team has some type of weakness, and if you can exploit that, that always helps. Uh, but I think for our players to get off to a good start in the game will probably give them a lot of confidence. Um, and then, you know, it's three victories. It's not like you got to go out and win four or five. I mean, it's it's just another it's another weekend. It's just you're playing a super team every day. And uh, we look at it as having fun. You know, we're going to go out there and we're going to play the game of baseball. We're not going to play East Carolina or Arkansas or Tennessee. We're going to play baseball. And, and that, that's going to be our opponent. We're going to have fun doing it. Interesting you mentioned stolen bases. As per your style, fourth in the country in stolen bases with 107 tied with southeastern Louisiana. Keith Shoemate gaining his fourth season as the head baseball coach at Norfolk State joins us here on Box to Row again. The Spartans are going to know on Monday which regional they will be in. Of course, are currently the MEAC champions. Coach, you may appreciate the time. Good to catch up with you, and good luck to you and the Spartans moving forward. All right. Thank you so much, Donald. Four seasons in for Keith Shoemate. Really, when you think about it, this is the third season because, of course, you lost 2020. And to be able to win the championship, he's done a really good job. Had him on the program maybe, I think it was 2018, as he was building that program his first year. And then ultimately, 19 came up short, getting it done in 2021. React to anything that Nuffolk State baseball coach Keith Shoemate had to say via Twitter at Boxtoro, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. Joining us on the program in about 10 minutes or so, Chris Crenshaw. Chris Crenshaw is the baseball coach. At Southern, he's going to join us on the program. I want to switch back and talk some NBA for the last couple of minutes here in this segment. So the Jazz and the Grizzlies, like the Grizzlies are playing. Like the Jazz, I mean, you know, obviously Donovan Mitchell didn't play in that first game. He wasn't happy about it. You see what he means to the Grizzlies. They really, I mean, to the Jazz, that is. The Jazz really needed him. And ultimately, the Jazz able to get it done on Wednesday in game two and so now but Memphis got what Memphis wanted Memphis wanted a split Memphis got the split now you got to go to Memphis and again if you're the Jazz to me I mean the Jazz I think I mean I don't think I, I like Memphis but I don't think Memphis is quite ready yet Memphis is still young John Morant is doing a great job I think a lot, but he's young. A lot of the other players are young. This is a much more experienced, much more experienced Utah team that I think gets out of the first round. I think they, um, you know, but again, you go back to Memphis now, and now you have to take two from Memphis to then be back on, t- or take one, that is one out of two from Memphis to be back on top. And I think that ultimately the Jazz can get it done, I think, on Saturday. Uh, the Jazz win the game and ultimately then go back to Utah. I, I, you know, I don't know the next game. I mean, it could go either way, but you, all you need is one. 
And I think Utah can get that one on Saturday. And then whatever happens in game four, ultimately Utah goes back needing to win uh, really two, two out, well, they need to still win two out of three. But at the end of the day, two of those games are, are going to be at home for the Jazz. This looks like a different Jazz team, especially in game two. It's hard to say. Only two games, one of which was lost, no Donovan Mitchell. Looks like a different Jazz team to me. Mike Conley is playing very well. I think they've been ready for Mike Conley to play well, and what better time to play well than against your former team in the Grizzlies. So we'll ultimately see how things play out on Saturday. We've got more NBA talk, but up next here on Box to Row, going to be joined by Southern head baseball coach Chris Crenshaw. You don't sit behind a desk every day to earn a living. You're out and about making it happen. And sometimes you get a little bit behind on your paperwork, you know, like bookkeeping and paying your taxes. It's easy to get behind on paying your taxes. It happens to the best of us. And you know what happens next. The big bad IRS comes knocking on your door. And when that happens, you need to call the good old boys at the tax doctor. Let them do what they do best. Deal and negotiate with the IRS so you pay the lowest you can in back taxes that the law allows. We are a 100% U.S.-based company, and we've saved our clients millions over the years in back taxes. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, call my friends right now at the tax doctor and learn more. 800-659-7980. 800-659-7980. 800-659-7980. That's 800-659-7980. It's Donald Ware from the press box to press row. Southern head baseball coach Chris Crenshaw to join us in a couple of moments here on Box to Row as the Jaguars repeat as SWAT baseball champions. Getting back to the NBA, I'm not sure if I'm going to be right on my prediction between the Nuggets and the Trailblazers. I picked the Trailblazers to win the series, but I mean, if you have another point guard in Austin Rivers playing like he played uh, in the game on Thursday. It's going to be tough for the Trailblazers. But, again, the Nuggets, what the Nuggets have done, they the Blazers forced a split in Denver, and so now the Nuggets have sort of taken it back up to one with game four to be played on Saturday in Portland. And so, again, game three, the Nuggets coming away with the victory in Portland to take back over now, to to take the home court advantage in the series back. Uh, Damian Lillard is doing Damian Lillard things. He's doing what he can. He's scoring. I mean, he's he's really unstoppable, but some other guys are definitely going to have to step up uh, if the Trailblazers want to win in that series, uh, the Bucks. I I, I I picked the Bucks to beat the Heat, but I didn't. I mean, the Bucks are dominating right now. Like series is three zero. Uh, the Heat, not not the. I mean, it's essentially the same personnel as last year, but for whatever reason, it's just not even with Dragic for the Heat. But it's just not working 
for my in Miami's favor. And I, I just think the Bucs are on a mission. I think more so than what the Heat isn't doing. It's more about what the Bucs are doing. And I think the Bucs are on a mission. They definitely have something to prove. The last couple of years have been very disappointing. Antetokounmpo has something to prove. What can he do in the playoffs? Well, he's showing what he can do in the playoffs. He's gotten better at that jump shot. Uh, and the Bucks are dominating right now. I think we're on a collision course for the Bucks and the Nets in the playoffs. Your thoughts on Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. Let's continue here on BoxToRow. We're joined by a gentleman who is in his first season as the head baseball coach at Southern, the Jaguars, repeating as champions when you go back, as SWAC tournament champions, that is, when you go back to the 2019 season, defeated Jackson State uh, in a close game to win the championship. As, of course, Chris Crenshaw, again in his first season as the head baseball coach at Southern, joins us here on Box to Row. Coach Crenshaw, congratulations and welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me on here. Absolutely. I mean, it's got to be a joy for you. You've been uh-uh, at Southern for a couple of years as an assistant and uh, to be able to repeat as champions has got to feel special. Your thoughts on the Jaguars winning the SWAC championship? Yeah, uh, that was a good Jackson team. Uh, I was there at Jackson. I recruited probably 75% of those guys. And on the field, I say I was responsible for about 95% of the players on the field. <laughs> to, uh, and when we played in that championship with both guys from Jackson State and Southern. Yeah, and, and what about it? I mean, you needed to really make up some runs in that last inning. You went into that inning trailing, you know, by two runs, and you ultimately get three runs in the top of the ninth to take the 7-6 to six lead and then ultimately hold on to win the championship. Yeah, uh, the our leadoff, we came back up, one, two, three, and our leadoff does a good job of getting on base. And when he went up there, I thought, find a way to get on. He got on base, and then we got a walk, and then a three-hole came up. who's was delivered every time, every chance he had a chance to deliver. And he showed up, and he got a pitch he could drive and hit it out. And we end up winning seven to six. Chris Crenshaw is in his first season as the head baseball coach at Southern. He joins us here on Box to Row. And the thing about it, you got hired, what, in December of 2020? Uh, in the midst, still in the midst of COVID, you know, speak to that. I mean, obviously you have familiarity with the program as an assistant coach, but now you sit in the big chair. Uh, speak to making that transition in such a short amount of time to lead this team to the SWAC championship. Yeah, I always went from a position where it's easy to help somebody else win games. And then I, I moved over a seat where I had to try to win games for myself. I didn't think winning games for myself would be so hard, but it took everybody we had in the dugout to make everything come through, and it played out the way it did. Right. Speak to you. You guys went 2-12 and on a stretch right there in April. That had to be a little bit frustrating, but you get out of that and then playing some pretty good baseball uh, down the stretch. Talk about that 2-12 and stretch uh, and then the guys ultimately staying resilient uh, to kind of bounce back and then ultimately in the tournament, only losing one game, a, a, a very 
uh, close two to one victory to Prairie View A&M, but that two and twelve stretch. Talk about that. That two and twelve stretch was a, a bunch of injuries, uh, trying to find out who we were, trying to find out how tough we was. Uh, and that two and twelve stretch, I think I didn't have two starting pitchers. I didn't have my leadoff hitter. I didn't have my three hole hitter, and I didn't have my six hole hitter. So at, at this level. When you're playing your backups that much, it's a big drop-off. Uh, it's not like we got a stockpile of uh, players over here. We got uh, we got starters, and then we got guys that can come in and give you a break. And uh, those guys that come in and give you a break were expected to show up and play every day, and that's something they wasn't used to. So that's that 2-12. to 12. That's that 2-12 run uh but those guys knew once we got healthy and everybody fell back into their roles uh things would things would be better and then we got those guys back we went what 10 and 2 to end the season so yeah one certainly one of the hotter teams down the stretch again chris crenshaw uh the head baseball coach of southern joins us here on the program get into tournament play i mean alabama state uh, as you know, up and down, but they were hot. Like they were hot towards the latter part of the season. Obviously, last year, I mean, really felt like they could win the championship. Last year, got off to the great start. Speak to that win to open the tournament—a three-to-nothing victory over the Hornets. Uh, that three-dead Alabama State game. All I can say is John Gwynn. Uh, he went out three strikes, competed, gave us a chance. To a complete game and a, a shutout. So, all that goes to John Gwynn. Uh, we have been working for a couple of weeks trying to get uh, his delivery together, get his mindset right, and it clicked at the right time. John Gwynn is dominant for us in the white tournament, with throwing the first game in the championship game for us. And then, conversely, the loss against Prairie View A&M. What did you tell your team after that game? Because now you're in a situation where it's a must win. You lose and you go home. Uh, after that preview game, I told the guys, I brought them up and said, hey, tonight's over with. We got to figure out a way to be good tomorrow and going forward. Let's not hang our hats on tonight. It's over with. It's behind us. Let's get ready to play again tomorrow. And after that speech, it kind of everybody showed up game after game after game until we got to the championship game. No question. And then rolling, I mean, speak to winning the last four games because – there was a battle with Prairie View A&M. They beat you first. You beat them in the rubber match, in the tournament. Uh, you ultimately win that game. And, of course, that was the game prior to the win over Jackson State. Uh, talk about beating Prairie View A&M two out of three times in the tournament. Uh, I think that was uh, – we had beat them once in the regular season. They took five games from us in the regular season. Us knowing that we could, that we could beat them uh, kind of gave us some confidence. And then that elimination game, that uh, that night game, they showed up and decided to flex some muscles, and we hit a couple balls out. We had, we did a good job of scoring runs in that game, that night game, and then that the next game, that Saturday, it was a dogfight again. We found ways to score runs late in the game, and they carried over to the championship. Yeah, this is a team. Can you speak a little bit about your team? And you know, maybe not the greatest batting average, but you guys. Uh, certainly can hit for power. Yeah, we can. We got a couple guys that can hit the ball out of the park. Uh, we had some some guys working on some things that they that get on base for us. 
Uh, we got off. We played some tough, some tough teams to start the season. And you know, you play tough teams, and sometimes you end up on the wrong side of going 0 for 9 on the weekend, 0 for 10 on the weekend. And luckily, we got in the conference play, and some guys got some feel good about themselves. And we, as coaches and my coaching staff, we did a good job of keeping guys uh, mentally into the game. Uh, knowing that they could perform and it carried over into conference play and then it carried over into the swag tournament. And then lastly, and we appreciate the time, Chris Crenshaw, the baseball coach at Southern. How much does the experience of playing in the regional going back to 2019, how much is that going to help you uh, in the regional? You'll know the team or the regional that you're going to be in on Monday. Uh. And regional play is uh, it's an experience that not many people get to experience. It's a, I mean, I enjoy being on the big stage, and I'm sure my kids enjoy being on the big on the big stage as well. Uh, but it's an experience. Um, everybody's going to be 100 percent capacity, so it's not going to be any empty stadiums. It's going to be a bunch of fans. It's going to be riled up, and we got to stay comfortable in ourselves and do the things that we're capable of doing to perform well. Chris Crenshaw in his first season as the head baseball coach of Southern joins us here on Box to Row. The Jaguars are going to find out on Monday who they play in the regional. And, Coach Crenshaw, we appreciate the time. Uh, continued success to you and the Jaguars. Thank you. I appreciate you having me out here to talk about my program. That's about all for today's Box to Row. And want you to have a wonderful, wonderful Memorial Day weekend. Enjoy some time with your family. Of course, for more information on Box to Row, you can log on to our website, BoxToRow.com. And always remember to support those that support you. From the Press Box to Press Row is presented by DW Communications.